0: Uh, Hey, uh, we are in a uh, new sermon series, or we're about to start a new sermon series, and uh, before I get into the message for uh, today... Uh, just a quick update. Justina told us about the building. Uh, it's going great. The project is going great. Uh, we had so many people come over this last week. Uh, some of y'all came once. Uh, some of y'all came multiple times. Some of y'all were there almost every day. doesn't matter if you there, were there for 10 minutes or 50 or two hours. Uh, you know, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming out and building the house of God. It means so much, and I know that uh, it, sometimes I don't give that much emphasis on this, or I don't thank you guys enough, but I want to take a moment, actually, to, to give honor where honor is due. Hey, if you were involved with anything, as far as it could be cleaning, uh, we didn't do much, a lot has to still happen, uh, so everyone's going to get an opportunity, but if you were involved this week with anything, building the stage, or the tech booth, or any Of that stuff, I'm gonna put you on the spot right now. I never do this, but I want to give you honor. All right, if you were there to clean, if you were there to just bring us coffee, if you were there to just smile, it doesn't matter. All right, if you showed up, would you quickly stand up to your feet? I'm gonna call you out right now, and I'm gonna give you honor. Stand up to your feet, real quick. Come on, come on, come on. If you were there at least for ten minutes, stand up to your feet right now, all through this building. Stand up to your feet right now, all right, all through this building. If you were there for at least ten minutes. Stand up to your feet right now. Go ahead, Jerry, stand up. You know you were there. Go ahead and stand up. Hey, guys, would you put your hands together and give them honor? Shelby, stand up, Shelby. Stand up. Shelby, Sonia's brother, my brother-in-law, uh, brother-in-love, I have a bromance with him. Uh, he, he drove all the way from Houston to be here this entire, stay standing, everybody, to be here this entire week uh, from Monday through like yesterday we were working and he works nine to five, so he's working online nine to five and he finishes work and we were working six to three in the morning every single day throughout this week to get the stage done and to get the tech booth done. The guys from the church just came together, people that didn't know woodworking, didn't know how to do, do a drill, who thought they knew how to operate a drill, but they were like, whoa what is this? You know, kind of a deal. They all got together. We had Bezalels, like they build the tabernacle and we had these people just come together and I just want to give them honor where honors is due. So in the commission way, would you one more time put your hands together and thank these guys and girls, uh, whoever's over here. Thank you guys very much. I love you all. Gals too. I know a lot of y'all are not standing up, but thank you all. I appreciate you. I love you very much thank you for what you do. Uh, Turn your Bibles with me, all right, to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is in the Old Testament, somewhere wedged there in the last few books of the Bible. Uh, If if we were in old church where everybody had the same Bibles, I would tell you which page to turn to, but I'm going to give you the horror uh, to actually go through your Bibles. And some of y'all, it's really easy because you have those digital Bibles, and that's okay. That's totally fine. You can turn your iPhone phones or your Android phones, and, or if you don't have anything, look on the screen, because we have some amazing stuff over the next few weeks planned out. Uh, as you guys know, we do uh, our studies here as a church. We, we believe we're a Bible-based church, and we believe strongly in studying the word verse by verse. Uh, in a very expository fashion, and in a very expository way. We break down verse by verse, and we travel through the Bible. And we've done so many books over the last years. We've done James, and we've done Philippians. We just wrapped up 1 Thessalonians. And we were in a few weeks of, uh, of transition where we did some standalone messages. And today, we begin our new sermon series. Now, uh, the, the I, we've just titled the sermon series. I know we've, we've titled things in, in fa- fashionable ways before, but we've just called it Habakkuk. And as a subtitle, we say, satisfied in the Savior when all is stripped away. And in a few moments, you'll probably understand as I give you the introduction to this book as to why it is important to be satisfied in the constant that we know of, the God that is constant in all the shiftings and in all the movings in life, It is critical for the Christian to be satisfied and to be content in the savior that always holds the ship. In verse number one of Habakkuk chapter number one, if you wanna go there with me, they're gonna put the verse on the screen. Uh, The Bible, I think I'm gonna cover three verses and that's where we're gonna go with this and probably next week we'll pick up pace but with the introduction, it's probably gonna take some time so we'll cover three verses and this is what the Bible says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? How do, you make me, how do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Let's say a word of prayer real quick. Father, would you speak to us through the word this morning, God? I pray, God, that Although this might not have been a book that we've ever studied before, we've probably read it, we've not studied it really, God, would you open our eyes up? I pray that you will speak to us dearly through this word. I pray, God, that this will be a word for this season, and I pray, God, that as we put our hearts and our minds into this, that you will teach us valuable lessons in our lives, that we will be witnesses of Jesus Christ in every arena that you put us in. In Jesus, name we, in Jesus name, we pray, and everybody said, "Amen. Amen." The book of Habakkuk is not easily found or not preached from often. Habakkuk was this minor prophet among the prophetic books in the Old Testament, oftentimes found towards the latter part of the Old Testament. Uh, it, Habakkuk was this minor prophet and is, little is known about him because of uh, the characteristics of this book, not just because of him, but this book in general. We know that he hung around with big gun prophets like Jeremiah, this prophet lived around 600 years before Jesus Christ appeared in a time of the, the people of Judah were struggling to comprehend the ways of God. They were slipping away from the faith and oftentimes sinning and rebelling. And as a result, God has been speaking to them. And this prophet in particular, Habakkuk, has been coming in and standing in the gap for the people that have been lost. The book is unique because there is no prophecy in it. Although he is a prophet, what sets Habakkuk aside, or the book of Habakkuk aside, is you would not find much of prophecy in it. Maybe words from God, but not really prophetic in nature. There is just a dialogue, a conversation, or a prayer. Many theologians call it a poem that is written by Habakkuk and a conversation that he has with God, a set of prayers, that Habakkuk puts together. Habakkuk, uh, you know, is is this this man that has seen the evil around him? In this book, he complains about how God, you know, responds to him and how God doesn't respond to him. So he spends time complaining. God responds to his complaint. Habakkuk complains again a second time. God answers that complaint and it ends up with Habakkuk praying and changing his attitude towards the things that God was doing around his life or around him. Habakkuk the prophet lived in a time where the Babylonians were growing in power and overtaking the country of Israel and Judah in particular and ostracizing them and putting a lot of pressure on them. So bear with me as I give you a backdrop here of what we're studying this morning. In verse number one, the Bible says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now, as confusing as a verse this might be, it is not. Uh, In other words, if I have to summarize that phrase, it would be a vision that was birthed by a burden. Simply put, uh, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw simply translates as a vision that was birthed by a burden. The, the word oracle simply means burden or simply means a weight, something that weighs you down. I would describe a burden as something that is deep down inside of you. It's something that you think about constantly, something that's on your mind. It, it's, even if you try to do other things during the day, it never leaves your mind. It's always on your heart, something that you worry about, that you're deeply concerned about. But there's something that I want to assure you, no matter what the burden is, God has allowed it to be there and God knows every burden that is in your heart. Because the Bible is very clear when God looks at you and me and says, cast your burdens upon me because I care. The Bible does not say that God says, cast your burdens upon me because I will take it all away. Some of us are worried about, oh man, I've been worried about this for so long and I've been worried about this for, for ages. And sometimes a lot of that is self-inflicted and we worry about things that sh- we shouldn't worry about. But God in his infinite mercy and his love and his, his gesture of kindness looks at us and says, cast that upon me. Give me the privilege to carry your burdens, to be able to harbor your burdens, so that you don't have to worry about it. So this is what we're talking about here. Habakkuk has this deep burden, this deep pain that he's going through. In a few moments, we'll understand why. But he doesn't allow his pain and his burden to go in waste. He allows his his pain and his burden to birth a vision. It is so important that you don't allow your pain to go wasted. Because God doesn't waste your pain. I'm going to say that one more time. Do not allow your pain to go wasted because God does not waste your pain. You will go through seasons of pain in your life, and that is normal and natural for a Christian. If anybody has told you otherwise that your Christianity is going to be smooth sailing, they lied to you. I'm here to tell you the truth that you're going to go through pain. You're going to go through struggles. But as you go through that, I pray that you will not waste one moment of it, but you will give it to the hand of God and ask him to do something through your pain. Because without your knowledge, God is working through your pain. And what he wants you to do is stand in the middle of your pain, be faithful in your pain to see what God can bring out of it. So Habakkuk's cry to Judah and Jerusalem was meant so that they would notice the calamity among the nations of the Chaldean people. And they would consider themselves a nation that was about to be scourged by them. The Babylonians were about to come and overtake them, plunder, loot. They were about to just bludgeon them to death and take over. There was this impending destruction of Judea and Jerusalem, and it was caused by the sins of the people by the way of national calamity. And here is this prophetic voice standing the gap and complaining to God and saying, God, would you do something? It's not really prophetic, but it's a plea to God. He's also hurt by what his people are doing, what his country is doing, what his society is doing, what culture around him is doing. He is shocked and he is apathetic by by seeing the, the people just getting lost and people delineating from the word of God and delineating from what God has called them to do. They were turning from the people of God to being distant from God. So he was deeply afflicted, seeing the ungodliness and the violence prevail, especially among those who profess the truth. And his biggest complaint is this, God, you are silent. Throughout this book, we're going to see how he re-emphasizes that God has been silent to many of his claims and many of his prayers. And, And that would have probably been stressful for a man who had been chosen by God to carry his vision to the people. For that reason, the prophet could have been burdened. Think about it this way. God has given me the awesome responsibility to be a teaching pastor in this church where I get the privilege to hear from God and come and serve it out on a Sunday morning. Imagine my plight if I have to sit at home, open my Bible, and say, God, speak to me from Habakkuk 1, and God doesn't say anything. Am I talking to somebody? Like if I come here on a Sunday morning and I say, Guys, I prayed. Trust me, I did. I fasted. I, I, I was reading my word every single day, but I got no word for you. Am I to somebody here? That's why Habakkuk is. Habakkuk is like, Lord, I've been praying. I've been asking you to, asking asking for a word to prophesy to these people, to lift these people up, to tell them to come away from sin. But I just got generic stuff, Lord. I got just plain stuff, God. But, but I need you to come through. And God is not listening to his prayer. But there was a reason God was silent. God was actually frustrated with his people. And so was actually Habakkuk. But he was deeply disturbed by the sins of the Jewish people, which, which we'll look in a few minutes as to why it was. But the state of the union in Jerusalem and in Israel was impacting him tremendously. And that's why he's getting this oracle, this burden on his heart. I don't know how many of us have burdens in our hearts or what kind of burdens they are, but I want to assure you of one thing. I pray that God will give you the desire to use that pain and use that burden in a wise way, where it will bring fruit. My question today is, are your burdens fruitful? are they birthing visions? Are they doing something? What are you doing with your burdens? Are you just complaining about them or are you doing something about them? In a few moments, I'm going to introduce you to this man who just didn't complain about his vision or complain about his burdens, but he got up and decided to do something about it. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. You see, here's the thing. Vision changes the future while making sense of the past. It's important to have vision no matter where you are and no matter which direction you're heading. What is your vision today? Is your vision propelling you to go forward? The Bible says, where there's no vision, people perish. Or in other words, the Bible says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. That's what the Bible says. What that means is if there's no vision, people don't care. As a church, if we don't have a vision and we don't drive towards that vision, people won't care. In your marriage, if you don't have a vision in your marriage, if you don't have a vision as a husband, if you don't have a vision as a wife, the other person just will check out eventually. They will drift to places and people and and, and things that have vision because people tend to cling to vision. It's important for, for people to have vision, but it's important to have God's vision, just not dreams, just not what you want to aspire. If I say, man, what do you want to do? Some of us want to retire by the age of 50. For a, for a lot of us, our, our dreams and our visions are you know, on a yacht at 50 years old. You're going to work, you're going to grind, you're going to do all of this. But have you asked God, God, is that what you have in store for me? Is that Does that align up with your will in my life? What if that's not what God wants you to do? Not that I'm saying your 401k is bad or not that a retirement fund is bad, but what God wants to do something bigger than that. And what I mean is by 50, I'm not asking you to work at a nine to five or not asking you not to work at a nine. If, if you have that vision, it's great. But what if, because if I read the Bible, I don't read about anybody who retired at the age of 50. I see an Abraham who started at 75. Am I talking to somebody over here? It's important to gauge and see like, nah, my plans are good. I like to make plans, but it's important that vision is given by God. For some of y'all, there are businesses that are birthing out of dreams that you have, but some of y'all are just sitting and dreaming. Some of y'all are not having that, 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 that power and you're looking at burdens and you're looking at shortcomings and the lack of money and the lack of support and the lack of this and that and you have these ideas and dreams, and we'll talk about this in a second, but you're not doing anything about it because burdens have a way of telling you that your circumstances are gonna debunk, or that your circumstances are gonna limit your ability to dream and have vision. My question is, are your, are your burdens fruitful today? Vision changes the future while making sense of the past. There's this difference between Christians that are moved and Christians that are movers. There are so many people that will listen to this message today. And you will be moved in your heart. You will come up to me after service and say, Pastor, I needed to hear that. And there are other people who will come to me next week and say, Pastor, I heard what you said and I did this this week. Am I talking to somebody? Or, or there are people that will message me on a, on a Wednesday and be like, pastor, I took notes, and you know what? I was faced with a situation like this at work, and I actually used that word that God spoke to us as a church, and I put that into motion. That is what, what effective Christians do, is they're not just moved, but they are movers. Look at somebody sitting next to you and say, Be a mover. We need to see more Christians who see a need and are propelled to fulfill it. You know, see, here's the thing: when someone has a vision for the future and is prepared to follow it, right? They are prepared to push it or, or or determine it, like like they will they will do anything that they have to do to see that vision come to pass. That person becomes this awesome person of change, this this person that can move, shake, change the trajectory of things, institutions, companies, I don't know what it is, but God is looking at some of us sitting over here and saying, don't just complain about your circumstances and your burdens around you, what are you allowing those burdens to do to you that's going to impact change around you? Because a lot of us want other people to change. We want circumstances to change in order for us to grow, but God's like, what if I'm using your circumstances to actually grow you? Because here's the thing. If this person that I'm talking about happens to be a Christian who's getting that vision from God, the possibilities are infinite. Your ability to dream is infinite. You know, Habakkuk's world was upside down. His world was in a mess. It was spiritually in a mess. It was economically in a mess. It was sexually in a mess. It was perverse. It was governmentally in a mess. It was in a family structural way. It was chaos all around and something needed to change. And I love that Habakkuk didn't just sit down and try to work it out or sit down and say, let's pray about it. He just didn't sit down and complain about it it in the complaining what you're about to see is this man had a vision that was about to drive things to fulfillment see there's a there's a difference between an idea and a vision ideas come and go in the moment but vision remains a lot of us think that we have god-given visions but they're just ideas because if it doesn't come to fruition, those were just ideas that you had. Like, like Sonia and I would always talk about, we love watching Shark Tank. We'll, we'll, we'll watch Shark Tank and we'll be like, man, why didn't we think about that? Or Sonia will be like, oh man, I thought about that actually. We should have done something about that. I, there was one product that she was like, oh man, I was thinking about this last year. And I was like, what'd you do? We could have been millionaires by now, you know what I'm saying? Like, just kidding. But, but, but I was like, there's sometimes we just sit and we think about it and we're like, oh yeah, we just don't have the manpower. We don't have the ability. Maybe science has not just come up to that level as yet. You feel like, some of y'all watch Shark Tank, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, oh man, I could have thought about that. I could have patterned that 10 years ago. There's always that I could have, I would have, right? But, but here's the thing, ideas come and go in the moment, but vision remains because of this. You know, vision isn't born in the moment, but out of a process. For a lot of us, we want vision to be born like that. Vision doesn't come like that. But, but here's the thing, i found that the best visions have burdens behind them. The best visions and the best visionaries are not people that just get dreams out of nowhere and ideas out of nowhere and it doesn't work, they just abandon it. It could be the Einsteins, it could be the Newtons, it doesn't matter. They tried and they tried and they tried and they tried because here's what vision is, vision just doesn't happen. The dream becomes a reality and, and burdens are associated with it, but a lot of people are not made to journey through those burdens because they see burdens as opposition, not as a journey that's going to take them to success. See, when you have a burden backing your vision, it drives you. It wakes you up in the morning. It keeps you dreaming. When you're lying in bed at night, you're not going to be able to sleep because through that burden, you have a vision and, and you're going to grind and you're going to, you're going to make sure that everything you do is towards that vision. When you don't have burden backing your vision, it's easy to lay aside and when things get hard, you're going to abandon ship. But when you're truly burdened by something, it's difficult to ignore y'all. You're in it for the long run you're going to be like, man, I'm in this bur- I have this burden. I have this issue going on and you know what? I need to come out of this as much as we can. What's the difference between vision and burden? Man, vision doesn't have to be your own. It can be imparted to you by somebody else. But no one can give you burden for something. That you must get on your own. Here's my thing. What I'm trying to ask you to do is not pray for burden. I'm not asking you to ask burden upon you. When I say burden, it's across the spectrum, y'all. I'm, I'm talking about a lot of things over here. The other day I was having a conversation with this young man and he said, Pastor Auschwitz, I was going through a lot of stuff at work. Like every single day, there was division in teams, there was no communication in teams, and if there was communication, there was competition. Everybody was just trying to get at everybody. Everybody was just trying to get better than everybody. Nobody wanted to give you know, uh, credit where credit was due. People just wanted to trample on people. There was no harmony on our team. And he said, out of nowhere, I just had this burden. He said, the exact words he said, I just had this burden in my heart and God said, why are you not doing something about it? And he's like, what do you want me to do about it? Fast and pray? So he fasted and prayed. He's like, I fasted for 21 days, nothing changed. He said, I prayed for 21 days, nothing changed. And I said, what did you do? I said, are things better at work? He's like, I'm, when I tell you this, I don't want to leave the company. It's amazing right now. My team is amazing. I was like, what did you do? He said, I just got together with one friend of mine, one other friend he said all we did in the morning was we arrived 30 minutes earlier than other people did. We bought donuts and we left it in the break room. We sat across each other and we did a devotional with one another. All right, This is all they did. And at the end of it, they prayed with one another right before work started and they went to work. Okay." And they said in one week's time, people would come into the break room, get their coffee, go. Some of them would observe them talking. In one week's time, another one of their co-workers was intrigued by something he said. One of them said in their conversation on their devotional, they were having a discussion, and he said one word triggered that man to say, hey, what, what are you talking about? I was actually looking that up on Google the other day. And, and he got into the conversation. And what, what just started as a conversation led to him being baptized three weeks after that. Like, this is phenomenal, guys. I was talking to him and he's like, that three people turned into five people. They have a five member out of their 19 or 20 member team, they have five people that meet 30 minutes before work every single day for coffee and donuts. And they read the word and they said, just because of that one thing. And they said, we can't think of anything else. The people hasn't changed, the bosses haven't changed, systems haven't changed, software's haven't changed, communication, nothing has changed. The only thing that changed was people showed up 30 minutes before and studied the word and prayed. Because one person said, I have the burden. It's amazing how sometimes we can look at our circumstances and we're like, man, only if this gets better, only if I had more money, only if I had more resources, only if I had a better pastor, only if I had a better church, only if I had a better spouse, only if I had a better better children. Unfortunately, you have no choice in those matters sometimes. But sometimes, man, God looks at you and says, you've got to have that burden in your heart. Burdens don't usually come up when you're shut up in a conference room or in a cabin in the woods. You're not searching for it. Burdens come in a day-to-day grind of life, like I just said, in ordinary, familiar places as we bump up against the broken world that we live in where things have gone terribly wrong, far different than how God intended. And it's in the middle of this brokenness that God looks at you and me in our prayer time, in the times that we spend with him. And God gives us a leaning and a direction to have burdens for things that we otherwise would not have. I hope I'm talking to somebody about this. I hope this is talking to somebody's issue or somebody's circumstance today. Because as we move to the end of the book of Habakkuk, we'll essentially see that the the modern day Great Depression in the 1900s, it it, it was was, kind of meeting this ancient world war that they had back in the time of Habakkuk. It's kind of a very similar situation that Judea and Jerusalem are facing at that point of time. If you have to think of some synonyms for for burden that seem too familiar to you at this stage in your life, it could be anxiety, it could be hardship, it could be grievance, it could be concern, or load, or obstruction, or difficulty, or affliction, or sorrow, stress, purposelessness, depression. Any of these words could probably be coincided with burdens. Is any of these words that apply to you today, I want you to reflect on this. What burden are you currently suffering under what, uh, and and, and what is it that you have, but you do not want? What are you going through in your life that you don't necessarily agree with, and you're like, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. What do you want, but but you don't have, essentially? Where where do you need vision? Like, what circumstance are you going through? What trouble are you going through? What burden are you going through where you say, man, I, I actually need vision today? I want you to reflect for a minute about that. The burden is the driving force, but the vision is what you need to do about that burden. Show up, that's what you gotta do. Some of us just need to show up. Someone say, show up. Come on, y'all could be louder. Someone say, show up. Show up. Yeah, thank you. If you feel lost and confused, you don't wanna do anything. If you're looking for a reason to get out of bed in the morning, if you've lost your vision and you're seeking to regain it, just keep showing up to life. Stop locking yourself in the bedroom, not moving out because you don't want to get up in the morning, do your hair, put, up some, put some makeup on, put on some nice clothes. Come on somebody, you, am I talking to somebody this morning when I was getting ready, my little five-year-old looked at me and said, Dad, you look so pretty. It's like, whenever you go to church, Dad, I lo- you look so pretty, and I was like, man, I, I dress raggedy every other day. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. I like when you put your coat on, is what she said. It's like, baby, I don't have my coat today. Here's the thing, the greatest temptation when you're in this place of, of, of difficulty, of tragedy, of pain, of circumstances that tell you that you can't succeed, the biggest temptation is to shut out the world, to retreat, to just, you know, just, just go through the motions of life, not to allow other people in, not to ask the prayers, not to, not to say, hey, I need help, but just to, to hold it inward and say, I got this, I got this, still, you don't got this. It's a trap, it's a big trap and there will be times where you get knocked up but you get up. Keep showing up. Be present because it's there often in the mundane that your burden will develop. And out of that burden, vision will start being born. And vision will start taking form. And vision will start creating to where out of, all of a sudden you're like, what's going on? And people will start running with you. And we're going to talk about that in the next few sermons. But people will understand that something is going on with you. I'm going to close in a few minutes, but Habakkuk's complaint is this in verse number two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? That's his complaint. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm, I'm asking you, Lord. How many of you can echo that? Lord, are you, like, are you there? Or cry to you violence. That's what he says. And you will not save. Man, we're introduced to Habakkuk's complaint to God, his first complaint to God. Get ready, put your seatbelts on. Because here's the thing, a lot of people are like, man, it's, un- it's very unbiblical, you can't complain to God. Here's, here's biblical complaining. Can I talk to you about biblical complaining? Let's talk about biblical con- complaining. The reason why complaint number one is biblical complaining or complaint aligns with the will of God is this. First, please see this, that Habakkuk is doing it the right way. He's taking his complaint to God. He's not complaining about God. He is complaining to God. Someone say, complain to God. The second thing, his complaint is legitimate. How, he says, how long do I have to keep asking for help? He's waited for an answer. It's pretty legitimate. He's like, man, I've, I've waited. I've, I've been patient. Like The situation has troubled him for way too long. And, and here's the thing, what we have here is this attempt to apply human thinking to divine activity, right? We think that when we say something, we should get a response, right? Like, that's how it is. Sonia always tells me that I don't listen to her. She's talking and she's like, you just tune out. The thing that men have this amazing ability to listen and they're not like looking at you and they're looking at their phones, but they're still listening. You know what I'm talking about? Like... Shelby was doing that yesterday and Lisa got mad at him. So I was like, I'm talking to you, Shelby. And I'm listening to you. Sonia says it always to me. I'm just defending all men over here. Men, we need to change. And sometimes we expect that of God, we don't, like, we don't like it when people don't respond to us, right? I'm horrible at texting people back. When people text me, I take days. Some of y'all are going, yeah, yeah, that's right. You call me, I'll, I'll probably answer it. I'll probably call you back, but texting, I'm just bad at it. But God is sovereign. God's not bound by anything that dictates his response to our request. I'm gonna repeat that one more time. God is sovereign and he, he's not bound by anything that dictates his response to our request. A lot of people, a lot of people say, God is always on time. Here's the thing, he's not always on your time, he's always on his time. See, that's something that we need to understand as Christians, that his time is not always and, and, and should not always, and we'll be, we should be okay with that. He is always, I, I guarantee you, he's, but I don't think you like his time. That's the problem. Some of us don't like his time, but he's always on time. We just have to be careful about saying he's always on his time. The third thing is this, his, response, his complaint is out of righteous anger. Habakkuk's concern is for violence and injustice and violence has overcome the nation of Judah. And, and, and what this means is, the, the word means that, that the, they have violated moral law to the point where now it injures, it, it hurts the fellow people. And the nation of Judah has forsaken their covenant with God. they have have let go of that covenant that God gave his own people saying I will be with you, you will be my people and I will be your God they have let go of that they have started following idols they have gone their estranged ways and Habakkuk was now living in the midst of a people without moral values and he wants to know if God is going to do something about it the state of the union is pretty bad You want to know how bad it is? I'll tell you how bad it is. It was so bad that they let the prostitutes lose, that they didn't have to be relegated to city alleys, or they didn't have to be in obscurity. They brought them back into the temples. They were not in the shadows anymore because that became the norm. The state of the union was such that it was accepted and it was okay. Come on, am I talking to somebody? I don't know if this rings bells, but, but sexuality and its depictions are not subtle anymore in our culture as well. There's no more blurring and there's no more beeping and everybody watches TV and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and whatever there is without even acknowledging or even, even like without a conscience of saying, okay, this, five years ago was not okay. But right now, culture is making it okay. Am I talking to somebody about this? But that burden is not something that people have because there are more people that say, hey, this is okay and let's make sure that that burden has vision and let's run with that vision. There's more people that that, that fall in that category than the category that will stand up because that's not cool anymore. It's not cool anymore. My preaching is not popular anymore. And I'm okay if we don't have thousands in our church that will say amen and clap to a popular message. I will and I will always, and I am committed to the Lord to always stand by biblical values and preach what the Bible says is true. You wanna know the state of the union? Cue the priest who will happily help you burn your babies alive and call for spiritists and mediums so that people will have the sense that they have some power to turn to, but it'll be this enslaving power of Satan that's luring them, and God seems to have nothing to say about it. That was their state of union, where the priests were burning the babies. What is the state of our union? Let me tell you. Where you can explicitly throw an acceptance of homosexuality into every movie, television show and brainwash children into making it acceptable because today the unapologetic inclusion is gender identity and pronouns that have taken over modern day culture and we're forced to adhere with shifting culture, but there's not many people who will stand up and say, that's not okay. And I have a burden and I want to do something about it. I really want to see more producers that are Christian and have values that will stand up and that will say, you know, there are some things that defy moral value. That is some things that God is not and will not be pleased by. And there is still God on the throne and we don't want to go down that alley again. Like, like My my heart pleads today and I pray that some of you all listening to me today will not, will not lean with popular culture that says it's okay. But you will trust Train, we will train our children to stand up for what is right, and look at them boldly in their eye and say, "Your friends might say that's okay. Your teachers might say that might okay, that might be OK. Your TV shows on Nickelodeon might say that's OK, but we, as your parents and as your church and you as a child of God, should always say that that's not okay, and it's okay to be the unpopular one. It's hard for us to imagine how this was personal for Habakkuk, but no doubt it was. Because was he married? There's so many questions that come to our, our minds. Did his wife go to these high places, Like much to his chagrin probably? Did he have a niece who was probably offered as a temple prostitute? Who else that, that, that he knew was probably killed in battle? And he has these questions raging in his mind, why? Did he have a neighbor who'd sacrifice his baby in the the name of Moloch? His his eyes were burning with sights that he could not unsee and burden was stirring inside of him where burdened him to fire and he was like, I'm going to do something about it. I need to do something about it. My question is after I've said all of this, does this weigh heavy on your heart in some remote way? Because I've just touched the surface and there's so much more deeper to dig right into. I can go on for hours as to how culture, but here's my thing, here's my thing. For the Christian, it's always one verse that says, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He does not shift with culture. He doesn't change with culture. Culture may demand you to, but for the man and woman that is in God, you are not off the world. You may be in the world, but you are not off. That doesn't apply to you and to me. Is there anybody in this room besides me that has more questions than answers? Because that's what he does. I think built in us is this desire to know, and the only way to know is to ask questions. It's like my five-year-old who asked me, why, why do I need to eat broccoli? Thank God she loves salad. I don't know how that happened, but one day she looked at her mom and said, mom, can I have salad for lunch? And I was like, who are you? Why do I have to go to school? Why is the sky blue? There's, there's so many questions we have sometimes and in a, in a few messages after this, we'll, we'll, we'll explore that, we'll go into those questions, but But it's like those disciples sitting in the boat asking God, don't you care that we drown? Or it could be a Jeremiah or a Job, both struggling with depression, asking, man, why was I even born? This open, this prophet, he opens with frustration. He's like, here's my book, opens his heart right up and says, why God? Why? Why? He's not sugarcoating it. He's not like, God in the heavens, what an awesome God, what a mighty God, what a praiseworthy God. He's like, Look, God, I have some issues. I got to be real. We got to be brutal. We got to be honest. I just got to lay my heart out here. He lays his frustration out and he says, How long, God, must I call for help? And you will not respond or listen. He's like, man, this is hard. It's difficult to be a pastor in a moment like this. It's hard to be a prophet in a moment like this. I just need to know if you're still around. Anybody ever felt that way? God, are you even doing anything about this? He's looking at the injustice, and he's looking at the, pay, at, the, at, the, at the pain, all around, and he's like, he's he's feeling like he's getting the short end of the stick, and he's like, Lord, man, what what's what's next? And and when we have questions, we think or assume that God must or should answer us immediately, but sometimes God works in His quietness. And saying, hey man, and, and he's going to say that. And next week, come back. It's, it's a beautiful message. He's going to actually say that to where he's like, man, even if I try to tell you, you're not going to understand. So let me, let, me, let me avoid that trouble. Uh, let, me, let me keep you out of that. But he says, here's what you could do, like what he did. Have vision in, your mirror, in that place where you can't understand. Here's the thing. A vision may appear reluctant, a vision may appear impossible, but but as one small step follows each plotting, each halting, each difficult step, the vision will not fail. Show up. Someone look at somebody, somebody next to you, and say, "Show up." Wait for it. Don't be discouraged, y'all. It will surely come. That's a thing with vision. If it's God given. It will come to pass in this time and some of us just need to stay, some us say stay the course. Because if your vision is from God, your vision has a voice that speaks like the voice of the Lord. I'm gonna repeat that for those of y'all who did not hear that. If your vision is of the Lord, it will have authority and it will have power and will speak with the voice of God. You don't need convincing, you don't need to coax people, you don't need to ask your investors to come on board. If it's from God, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Things will align up in his time, in his purpose. Do you have a burden? Ask God what he thinks about it. Complain to God, tell him about that burden. The way to turn burden into vision is to get up high. Would you stand up to your feet with me? It's to get up high, away from the crowds, away from the stuff that bothers you, that bogs you down. Sometimes it's away from your circumstances to, to just separate yourself. It's there, like, it's there with God. Your vision is with God that, that you will hear the secrets of your call. Here's the thing about vision, it's bigger than you. But my question to you today is if, if God can trust you with a vision, do you have place to host that vision? See, for a lot of people, we can't, vision doesn't drive us or we can't carry vision because we don't have space to carry that vision. We're so bogged down by life and stuff in this life. You have way so much on your plate. It's like you're juggling. You have so much in your hands that God's trying to give you this vision and you have no space to harbor it and you have no space to carry it. And God's like, that's not my fault. Or for some other people, you have vision from 1987. If I ask you what you're doing, you're talking about that vision from 1987. And guess what? In 1988, he spoke to you about the next thing that you have to do and you didn't hear And because of that, you missed that boat and you're still holding on to 1987 vision. God's like, what are you going to do about what you're doing right now? Oh no, back then I had a vision, it didn't work out, so I'm not going to do anything. If you have a burden, do something about it. Your vision is much bigger than you. It's, It's about ushering the kingdom of heaven into reality. Don't wait for it, it's waiting for you. Some of us need to take that first step. The fulfillment of the vision, here's the thing, a lot of you are like, what brother, uh, didn't you just say that God's timing is the right timing? Here's the thing. Your first step doesn't doesn't mean that the vision's fulfilled, it's the first step towards the fulfillment of your vision. Fulfillment of vision always comes in God's timing. But sometimes you gotta work towards that. You gotta take that first step. But my son, no, that's where you start. Is in your circumstances. The psalmist will say, in my distress, I cried out to you. In my pain, I cried out to you. In my sorrow, I cried out to you. In my impossibilities, I cried. Is that what's propelling you forward? Is that what's pushing you forward this morning? Hey, our prayer team is going to be available up here, up front here to pray for you guys. And if there's something that you're praying about that you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, Come join them in prayer today. These are people that jump on the prayer line Tuesdays and faithfully pray Tuesday after Tuesday. Spend time in the presence of God. Praying for needs in the church, each one of you. Like Justino was saying, man, we're, we're a church that believes in teaching the word. We're a church that believes in the miraculous. We believe in prayer moves in powerful ways. We've seen it happen. We heard a testimony today and throughout the week we hear testimonies. It's just that we don't share everything we hear. Maybe we'll make a video montage of all the testimonies that we've had over the over the months, but we pray, not religiously, but we pray in faith expecting expecting God to move in a powerful way. And what we have today, some of y'all probably went to a church that didn't, didn't really do prayer time or didn't have a time for prayer. But hey, if, if you feel free to just join with somebody in prayer, if there's something in your job, if there's something with your family, if, if there's something with your marriage, it doesn't matter what it is. If there's something with just your finances and you just need someone to pray with you, you need a breakthrough in something. You just need to agree with someone in prayer. You seize this opportunity.